Thank you for downloading this podcast from Awakening Church. Amen. Well, Lee was Lee was opening up and he was alluding to somebody going on a cruise today. Those of you that were able to celebrate with us last week realize that's that's us. So we'll be flying out later this afternoon. Rebecca's birthday is tomorrow. And uh, so I decided I wanted to love on her and take her on a cruise. It's not a bad consolation prize for me either. So so we're excited about that. I've got some stuff that I want to say, but um, I want to go, I want to, in in worship, I I started going down this road. They started singing about uh, Jesus or he came down my prodigal road and he brought a ring and a robe and um, man, it just began to take me on this journey. And so um, everywhere in scripture where you find that a robe is given, it's in exchange for something. And um, one of the first instances is um, Jacob and Esau. Even though Jacob was a trickster and he was going about things the wrong way, he knew that he had to get to the father and he knew that he had to put on the robe of his elder brother in, in order to do that. It's a type and a shadow of an exchange. It's a type and exha- uh, shadow of putting on the image of your elder brother, who is Jesus. Then I begin to think about David and Jonathan. Jonathan, the prince of everything. Jonathan, the one who was to inherit the throne, exchanges robes with David as a sign of covenant, saying, I'm putting on what I have in royalty and exchanging that for you. Again, it's a type and a shadow of Jesus coming in the flesh, coming in humanity, to exchange the robes of royalty so that I could put those on. Then I thought about the prodigal son, which I try my best not to call that story that anymore because if you read that and that's what you get, you've missed the whole thing. It's really a story about a loving father. It's not a story about a prodigal son. It's about a loving father. And he says this. He says, go and get a robe Go and get, as a matter of fact, go and get the best robe. And we're going to exchange that for the junk. We're going to exchange the best robe. Come on, is, any, is anybody thankful that, that he was able to look past the junk? He was able to look past the mess, the wallowing, 
and say, listen, you don't have to wear that anymore. I'm, I'm going to put something on you that causes you to look different, that causes you to think different. How do you think David felt after taking off the robes of a shepherd and putting on the robes of a prince? Come on. Listen, what worked in the field doesn't always work in the palace, right? And so sometimes we got to get our mind out of the field mentality, and we've got to realize who he says he is. Here's what's amazing about this. The ones receiving the robe had no action to do anything. All they had to do was take it. All they had to do was take it. So I just want to, I, just for a moment, I just want us to think about that. I want us to, to realize what it was that he exchanged with us, what it was that he took on. How did he take it on? He who knew no sin became sin so that I through him might be the righteousness of God. Come on. What did he exchange and what did he give you? Is anybody thankful for that exchange today? God, we just say we're thankful for the exchange. We're thankful for all that you have done. We're thankful that we had no part in it. All we have to do is take it on. All we have to do is take it on. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Okay, guys, thank you so much. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Thank you for the exchange. Thank you that our image changed. Yeah. We love you today. We love you today. We love you today. Thank you, Lord. Here, here's what I love about the exchange. He didn't try to give me a patch. He didn't try to fix on me what was torn, what was broken. He took it and gave me something brand new. He took from me what was broken, what was hurt, what was distressed, and he gave me a robe of righteousness. And that's good. We've been talking about justification for the last little bit. We're, we're on a journey uh, getting to righteousness and inheritance and dominion. And um, so I, I'm going to talk about that just a little bit this morning. And I want to jump into uh, some other things. Uh, I want to give a disclaimer about this. Again, I feel like I've done this, but I was telling Rebecca last night, I feel like the Lord is taking me personally into some areas that um, I have no idea what I'm doing. And so as long as you all are okay with that, I'm okay with that. <laughs> I really am. Uh, I, I'm experiencing some things that, that I know I have believed. I'm experiencing some things that, that he's opening up to me. And so I, I just want you to know that I in no way stand here um, as an expert on this, but, but he's teaching me some stuff and opening up some things. And so we're, we're going to learn some stuff together, okay? So, so justification, we've talked about this every week. It is the declaration of my acquittal by God. He declares that I 
am righteous. He sees me. It's his view of me as righteous. Okay? It's his view of me as righteous. The only part that I play in that is to believe that. That's the only part I play. I, I, I don't have to play the part to try and look righteous. I don't have to play the part to try and act like what I, what I did or didn't do in my past. The only thing I have to do is believe that he sees me differently because of the blood of Jesus. Does that make sense? I've spent a lot of time trying to do the rest of it on my part. Spent a lot of time trying to figure out how I needed to rectify situations when the truth is all I needed to do was have a real eternal truth of the way that he views me. That is, that is one of the greatest obstacles that the enemy has put in our way that God could possibly view us as righteous. Because we know what we did last week. We know what we did last year. We, we, we know what we went through. We know what our mindset was. We know that it was premeditated. That's, I, was, I don't remember. It may have been Brady the other day. We were talking about uh, something, and we were talking about premeditated actions. And, you know, you've heard me say that over and over again. You, you don't just trip and fall into sin. You know, that's how we've uh, made it in religion. Oh, they fell into sin. No, they didn't fall into sin. They jumped. They did, just, just to be quite honest, because you don't do anything that is not first a thought in your mind, right? You need, you need Bible on that in the book of James, that, that we are drawn away by our own lust, right? The things that we think about, that's, and when, it's, when it gets into maturity, it becomes death. And, and, and so, uh, you know, we have tried to make ourselves feel better by saying we fell into sin. No, it's, it's, it's premeditated actions. And so because of these premeditated actions, we, we, we've, we've conjured up this idea that what we did somehow has a greater effect on our life than what he did for us. We really have. We, we really have. And, and, um, so um, it's, it's imperative that you, you really understand what he thinks about you and what he says about you, okay? Um, and, and let me say this. Let me say this. What he says about you is different than what your flawed leaders said about you. What he says about you is different than what your flawed parents said about you. We have people who, who go around, you know, all of the time hurt because of past relationships with, with, with leaders who, who were, were human, of course, or, or parents who, who didn't uh, do the things that they were supposed to do. And, and what it does is it causes us to formulate these ideas that God must, he must look like that as well. He must look at me like that as well. I've taking, taken on these words. I've taken on these actions. I've taken on these negative things. And so God must be viewing me that way. And so then we begin to build our idea of who God is around what someone who is flawed said to us and really it's just a tool of the enemy to throw us off and and misidentify us so that we really don't move into becoming sons and daughters of God so so this idea of justification this idea of him seeing me as righteous is really an identity thing it really is an identity thing can I believe 
can I believe that the blood of Jesus has the ability to really change me so that the nature of Adam that was in me is now dead and doesn't have to be resurrected any longer? That's, that's what that is. So justification is the declaration of my acquittal by God. It is his view of me as righteous. And the only part I play is to believe what he says. We're going to go to John chapter 3 in just a moment, 1 through 13. Fundamental to believing this truth, listen to this, fundamental to believing this truth is the idea that there is a stark contrast to the natural realm and the realm of the spirit or the heavenly realm. I'm going to just skim the edge today as to why we need to believe that God looks at us and calls us righteous. I'm just going to skim the edge because we're we're, we're going to come back to this. But I want to introduce a couple of concepts to you today that that I feel like the Lord is is introducing to me. And and quite frankly, just like I I said a while ago, I'm I'm learning this. I knew it. I've preached it. But I. So here's the deal. I feel like that a lot of what we have done, and I'm saying we, so I'll feel better about myself. Is that okay? All right. So um, I feel like a lot of what we have done is we've had theoretical Christianity and not necessarily practical Christianity. Well, how can you say that? Because we're worried about church services and times and all this, not necessarily us here, but but people. We're worried about making sure that we, we get enough people in the seats and there's enough tithe money that comes in. Yada, yada. They were worried about, am I going to lose my life today for Jesus? There's a, there, there's a big difference in, in the Christianity that they started with and what we have today, right? And, and so um, I'm, I'm realizing <laughs> to my own aggravation that, that there are things that I thought I was living that were still really just theoretical. But I had already said that they were practical, but really they never changed from being theoretical. They just, you know, nobody else. So, so I'm, I'm seeing some things and, and just realizing some stuff. And, and one of the things that, that, that I just really feel like that, that he's saying to me is, is, is I have to really understand the stark contrast, the difference between the natural realm and the spiritual realm. And I'm going to talk to you about what I feel like has, has, has happened and some of the reasons that, that that's necessary. Bill Johnson says something that just is amazing he said, you carry the fragrance of the world that you're most acquainted with. You carry the fragrance of the world you're most acquainted with. So w- when things happen to you, what comes out of your mouth is connected to the world that you're most acquainted with. Is that heaven or is that what we see in the natural, right? It's the whole idea of if you, if you dip a sponge in water and you squeeze it, water comes out, right? I can always tell what's really in somebody when they get squeezed. If you dip it in milk, milk comes out, right? So, so whatever is really in you, whatever it is that you really believe, we can talk a real good game until the squeeze gets put on, right? right? We can be Superman, theoretically, in the spirit, until the squeeze comes on, right? Or even better yet, I can be Superman for you until it comes to my house and I have to deal, for, deal with it, right? And, and, and so I, I really want us to get this idea that, that there is a real difference between the natural world and the realm of the spirit. And I really want to call it this. I really want to, want to just adjust some language today and say the realm of heaven. The realm of heaven. The, 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 yeah. 
And so we carry the fragrance of the world that we are most acquainted with. One of the reasons that this idea of the natural and the spiritual has been misrepresented in the American church culture is because we have spent most of our time trying to rationalize spiritual things. We spend a lot of our time trying to rationalize spiritual things and explain away the involvement of the Holy Spirit. Now, not all churches do that, but I want you to understand that in America, there are mainstream churches that literally have strategy meetings about how they can keep the movement of the Holy Spirit out because that may cause people to go away. How, how, listen, we're not, we're, we're not going to speak in tongues. We're, we're, we're 45 minutes, we're in, we're out. We're, we're gonna, seriously, not all churches are that way. We're, obviously, we're, we're not that way, and there are tons and tons of other churches. I, I don't feel like I'm, you know, Elijah saying, oh, we're the only ones, you know. And, you know, God's like, no, there's 7,000 other. So, so I, I don't want to give you this idea that this is everybody. But I, I guess I'm just so appalled at the idea that one church would do that. Let's remove the movement of the Holy Spirit because it may cause people to go. Well, I thought it was him who drew all men unto himself. You see what I'm saying? And, and, and so one of the things that we've done is we've tried to rationalize and explain away the involvement of the Holy Spirit. Now, um, okay, I'll get to that in a moment. Here, here's what I feel like was rising up in my spirit last night. I'm longing for a revival of real spirit-empowered encounters. I'm longing for a revival of real spirit-empowered evangelism, real spirit-empowered lifestyle that, that we live the reality of heaven to earth. Listen, we have been for f almost six years now talking about we want to live in a place from where, where heaven comes to earth. There are people all over the world that are championing. We want to live from the place from heaven where heaven comes to earth. And then we go out here and we get our brains beating because we have no idea what that really means to live from heaven coming to earth. We really don't have a concept of that. We've got language behind it, which I love. We've got rhetoric, and we even have some routine behind that. But, but I'm longing for us to move into a place where we have real practical experience, understanding heaven touched earth. Here's the thing. Here's, here's why it's difficult for us. Because our, our, our perception is that heaven is going to come to earth in the form of some massive shaking, some, some awesome experience that happens, and not the fact that tomorrow when you go to work and you get a cup of coffee, you have the ability to bring heaven to earth into someone's life who has no concept of what that looks like. And, and so I'm being challenged with the idea that, 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 that heaven is, is, is coming to earth through me. I, I'm, I'm going to get there in just a moment. Why, why would Jesus teach us to pray on earth as it is in heaven if it were difficult to attain? Why would he do that? Why would he say, this is how you pray? Our Father who art in heaven. Come on, we can all say it. Hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done. What? On earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil for thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. We could break that whole prayer down and he talks about provision. He talks about protection. He talks 
talks about everything that we need and heaven coming to earth, why would he teach us to pray that if it were so difficult? Right? And, and, and so I, I want us to begin to understand that, that there, are, there are ideas that we have, we have acknowledged, there are things that we have that, that we are not necessarily living out, okay? Um, let, let me go ahead and read this, and then, and then I'll get back to this in just a moment. So uh, this is the story of Nicodemus, okay? And, and I'm going to read it from the Passion Translation. And this, this is really, really good, and there's a lot in here that, that we won't get to touch today, but we'll come back hopefully. Okay. <clears throat> Uh, Just start at verse 1. Now, there was a prominent religious leader among the Jews named Nicodemus, who was part of the sect called the Pharisees and a member of the Jewish ruling council. One night, he discreetly came to Jesus and said, Master, we know that you are a teacher from God, for no one performs the miracle signs that you do unless God's power is with him. Now, let's, let's just grab some context really quick. He's a Pharisee, he's a leader of the Jerusalem council, and he's coming to Jesus after hours because he knows something's different about this man, okay? So, so he's a religious leader, he's a Pharisee, he, he's, he's a great teacher, actually, Jesus tells us here in just a little bit, and he's coming to Jesus because he realizes there's something that you have that I don't have. Now, he's not going to do this during the day because he could be stoned, right? But I, l- listen, let's, let's, let's have coffee not at, not, you know, let's, let's go find us a little place tucked back somewhere that we can talk about this, right? That's what he's doing. Jesus answered Nicodemus, listen to this eternal truth. Here, here's something I love about what the Passion Translation says over and over. It uses that verse, that, that phrasing right there. Listen to this eternal truth. I want you to understand that what we're learning, what you have been living your whole life is not temporary and just for a moment that you're in right now, it's an eternal truth. That's why it's so important for you to understand that his faithfulness endures to all generations. Watch this. If you begin to live in righteousness and that is spread through your DNA, his righteousness in you endures to all generations. Jesus' name. We have got to stop believing that everything is so temporary because that's what we see. And if he'll just get me past this little valley and if he'll just get me past this little thing and then I've got to do No, 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 no. Faith to faith, glory to glory, strength to strength. That's what's available for us, right? All right. Okay, get out of the screen. My goodness, can't nobody read the Bible. (laughs) Okay, Jesus answered, verse 3. Nicodemus, listen to this eternal truth. Before a person can perceive God's kingdom realm, they must first experience a rebirth. Nicodemus said, rebirth? How can a gray-headed man be reborn? It is impossible for a man to go back into the womb a second time and be reborn. Jesus answered, I speak eternal truth to you. Unless you are born of water and spirit wind, I love that word, you will never enter God's kingdom realm. For the natural realm can only give birth to things that are natural, but the spiritual realm gives birth to the supernatural. Jesus is explaining to Nicodemus the stark contrast between the world that Nicodemus is living in and the world that Jesus is living in. What's amazing is that he invites Nicodemus into his world. You shouldn't be amazed by my statement. You all must be born from above, for the spirit wind blows as it chooses. You can hear its sound, but you don't know where it came from or where it's going. So it is within the hearts of those who are spirit-born. Then Nicodemus replied, but I don't understand. What do you mean? How does this happen? So Jesus spends his whole discourse telling you need to be 
reborn. He's like, I don't, I don't know how to do that. I'm, I'm old. How can that happen? He goes on another discourse, and he's like, but I still don't know how to do that. How does that happen, right? Then Nicodemus replied, but I don't understand. What do you mean? How does this happen? Jesus answered Nicodemus, aren't you the respected teacher in Israel? And yet you don't understand this revelation. Y'all see what Jesus did right there? That gives me hope that sarcasm is, I know it's not a fruit of the spirit. It's not a fruit of the spirit. I know it's not. But man, it just gives me hope that that was part of his identity he placed into me. Yeah. Because if, if y'all don't, don't hear the sarcasm in that, aren't you the respected teacher in Israel and you don't understand what I'm saying? Listen, I got to read this stuff and be like, okay, okay, I, it can fit me. It can fit me. I can't walk around thinking that, that perfect people are getting it done, right? Woo. Watch this, though. I speak eternal truths about things I know, things I've seen and experienced, and still you don't accept what I reveal. Now, if you're unable to understand and believe what I've told you about the natural realm, what will you do when I begin to unveil the heavenly realm? And this next verse literally almost caused me to stop writing any kind of note last night and just go to bed and forget it. Seriously. And so we're not going to go deep into this last verse, but we're going to talk about it eventually. No one has risen into the heavenly realm except the Son of Man who also exists in heaven. No one has risen into the heavenly realm except the Son of Man who also exists in heaven. Okay, I got to get off that real quick. I'll come back. I'll come back. I'll come back. So, so here's the deal. Here's the deal. One of the reasons this has been misrepresented in America, talking about trying to rationalize the Holy Spirit, is because we want to explain the involvement. We want to make it make sense in our mind. It has to be explainable and definable, right? Have, have you ever left church and you just scratch your head? How did that happen? Have you been in those services? Like, you remember I told you a few weeks ago about the man who was slumped between two people and T.L. Lowry prayed, prayed for him. I'm, I'm, brother had no strength in his legs. I mean, he's like this. And he does a standing backflip on his face. And I said, I was like, I, I, I have no explanation for that. Same service, he grabs the walker of the lady, slings it across the thing. Little old lady takes off running down the tabernacle. You know, I'm just like, man, man, I believe in healing, but how did that happen? And you start to rationalize things. Well, maybe, maybe she took some Tylenol before she came up there. And, 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 and you, you understand what I'm saying? I, I, I know that, that none of y'all would really do that. But, but I have tried to rationalize things. Why? Because it has to make sense in order for me to want to grab it, right? We have been talking for weeks and weeks and weeks about the fact that Holy Spirit is the one who's testifying of Jesus. And Holy Spirit is the one who is speaking to us these truths, right? And Jesus tells Nicodemus over and over again, just like Paul told the Corinthian church, just like Paul told the Romans, just like Jesus told uh, Judas, not Iscariot, I'm talking to you in a different language. I'm talking to you about spiritual things, and you're trying to bring the spiritual thing and make it make sense in the natural, and it just doesn't work, Jack. And because when you do that, you remove the divine aspects from it. Listen, people are so good at being cynical. 
People are so good at explaining things away and saying, well, I know he did that, but there's always a big but. But Jesus says this, as he's explained to Nicodemus, this is so cool. He says, listen, are y'all listening? Y'all paying attention over here? Sometimes I feel like I need to preach to y'all because y'all ain't paying attention. I'm just playing. Jesus says, what I'm explaining to you is, is like the wind, the spirit wind. You don't know where it comes from, and you don't know where it goes. But you have to, why? Because he's telling a man, you have to be reborn. You have to be reborn. And so he's explaining some things um, that, that are really, really difficult um, for Nicodemus to grab. And he says, listen, 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 listen. I, I, I'm not speaking to you on, on I, I need you to go to another level with me, right? Just like he did the disciples in John 6. You have to eat my flesh and drink my blood. You know he did that because there were too many people coming around. Yeah. Jesus wasn't after a megachurch. He, he wasn't after a megachurch. And so he would get up randomly and say stuff like, you, you need to eat my flesh and drink my blood. <laughs> Gone. You already don't let us out by 12. You brought us out here in the wilderness. We ain't got no kind of lunch. We ain't got nothing to eat. And now you tell me I need to eat your flesh and drink your blood. Gone. He's like, all right, now I got it down to, you know. But then he looks at his disciples and he says, you leaving too? He said, because the words I speak to you are what? Spirit and life. So, so what I'm trying to tell you, you can't hear the message of justification with natural ears. Because you would still be stuck, I would still be stuck trying to figure out how I do my part in justification. You got to put on ears of the Holy Spirit to be able to hear that this is the way that God views you, this is the way that he sees you, and the only part you play is to believe it. That's the only thing you have to do is believe it. And, and, and so that's why everything we're, we're hearing over these last several weeks is, listen, it's coming from the inner witness of Holy Spirit. It's coming from Holy Spirit. This is spiritual. You have to get this. Here's, here's where I think that we're in a good place in America. I, I know that we could, we, could, we could listen to everything that's happening, that America's going to hell in a handbasket and the generations coming below and, you know, the millennials this, millennials that. But here's what I believe. I believe that we are about to see a generation that's coming behind us with a hunger for the supernatural that could literally catapult us into the third great awakening. I, I refuse to believe that the generation coming behind me is one who doesn't know the Lord. I believe that there's a hunger for supernatural things for them to engage in the things of the Spirit. And guess what? That puts us, those who believe in the things of the Spirit, at the forefront of their search engine. I really believe that. And so Jesus is trying to get this Pharisee to understand. You got to understand, Jesus is, man, he is dissecting religion the whole time. He's talking to a Pharisee, and I mean, he's just cutting it up. You got to be reborn. Uh, you're a teacher. Why don't you know this, right? You, you, you got to get all uh, of this that I'm telling you, and you don't have it. And what he's doing is very gently telling him, listen, I have something for you that's way better than what you're trying to do in the synagogue every day. So, 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 ah. Uh, it's an invitation. He's inviting Nicodemus into something. The invitation is for us to really believe that we are who God says we are and that through Holy Spirit, we can actually do what Jesus said we can do. Come on, what if you could really believe that? What if you could really 
Because here's the deal. You're never going to believe that you can do what Jesus said you could do if you don't believe who you are in him. You're just not. Right? You remember when, when you were trying to ride your bike and, and you would fall and you would get down, but dad or mom or uncle or somebody would come out and say, hey, listen, you can do this. No, I can't. I don't know. What, no, you can do it. And their words of encouragement said, listen, I see you. You can do this. You can ride. And you were able to get up and do it again. Maybe it happened at a job. You can do this thing. And this is the invitation Jesus is saying, listen, if you can have relationship with the indwelling Holy Spirit, if you can really let him become the testimony of, of Jesus out of your life, then, then you can really do what it is that he said you could do. Okay, there's, there's three stages. And I was writing this last night, and I literally started laughing at myself because I don't ever do this anymore. I used to do it. You'll appreciate this, Lee, because you said you do. You have to have three points, okay? So there's some stages, right? The first one is that we have to recognize the need for a shift. I literally started laughing at myself because they all start with R, too. Those of you who know hermeneutics and homiletics and all that stuff. You have to recognize first that you need a shift. You have to repent and literally change the way that you think. And there has to be a rebirth that, where you receive the DNA of heaven. Okay? So those are three things. I feel like we get stuck in the first one. And we talk about the second one, but we really have no idea what that third one is about. Okay? We, we get stuck recognizing that, hey, we need a change. Right? I, I, I feel like my life sometimes is the definition of insanity, right? You know what the definition of insanity is, right? That, that, that you, you do the same thing over and over again expecting a different result. And so I get up every morning. I'm like, hey, listen, I recognize that I need to make a change, but here I go. I recognize that I need to make a change. Man, I did it again. You, you understand what I'm saying? And so most of our prayer life is, Jesus, forgive me. I'm sorry. I'll never do that again <laughs> until the next time tomorrow, right? Okay. So, Jesus explaining to Nicodemus, you have to be reborn. I want you to catch this. You have to be reborn. Literally could be translated, born from above. So, he's saying, listen, you got some stuff, you're good in the synagogue, but you need to be born from above. There's some different DNA that you need. In the Aramaic, oh, man, it's beautiful. The language that Jesus was really speaking, he says this, you need to be born from your origin. Watch this. We focus on our Adam nature, right? We do all the time. We just do. Watch. We were born into sin. We were born into depravity. I completely believe that, okay? I don't want you to believe that I think we were born into unicorns and rainbows, all that stuff. We were born into depravity. I get it. The issue is I cannot look at depravity as the origin. Why? Because Adam was not born into depravity. I was born into depra to depravity. Adam was not born into depravity. So the implication that Jesus is really saying, man, this is so good. And this is, if you have the Passion Translation, this is just some commentary that Dr. Simmons says. The implication in verse 3, let's read verse 3 again. Jesus answered Nicodemus, listen to this eternal truth before a person can perceive God's kingdom realm. They must first experience a rebirth. The implication is this, what Jesus is saying that to be born again, that you are to be born again like Adam was born from the direct breath of God. That our born again experience should put us in touch, watch this, with our Adam nature. 
but not the Adam nature that we have focused on when he fell. The original intent that God had for him when he was born from the direct breath of God. Does that? Jesus' name. That I should, I should relate to him, but not because he fell. I should relate to him because God created him with original intent in mind. Why are we so focused on the negative? Why are we so focused on how bad we are? Because we think that depravity has a greater hold on us than the blood of Jesus does to set us free. We would never say that with our minds, but we have lived it for year after year after year after year. If we're going to focus on Adam, I say this, let's focus on original intent and not just his failure. Let's focus on original intent and not just his failure. A real rebirth, watch this, because Jesus explained some stuff right here. A real rebirth should put you in touch with the kingdom realm, not just make you a part of a church. How many times did Jesus say, repent and go to church? Now, people will try to convince you that's what he said. Repent and come be a part of the church. Better yet, repent, and now you're going to have to uh, volunteer. And, 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 and your faith without works is dead. I believe that completely. I believe it completely. But what we did is said, demonstrate that you're good enough by the way that you volunteer. Listen, I've literally met people that think if you're not ministering to the homeless, there's no way you could really be experiencing the love of Jesus. Jesus never set out to just go minister to the homeless, but his everyday life when they encountered the kingdom realm, they could not leave the same way they were when they encountered him. What if that is our faith having works that we are so committed to who he says we are that people can't get in our presence and leave the same way? Do we have faith for that? Or do we think we got to get them to church on Sunday? Listen, I, I'm hearing, I'm hearing the, the Lord talk to me about the fact, and, and listen, I love, I love to pray in the Holy Ghost. I love to have devotion time. I love to read the Bible, literally. I, I just love it. But I'm, I'm hearing him say, you don't experience me the way that you do in a corporate setting because you don't give me the attention in the individual session like you do in the corporate session because you're always, I'm always thinking about something. I've told you all that. I'm always thinking about something. Oh, that's good revelation. Oh, we could do this. Oh, we could do that. No, 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 no. He's trying to say, listen, let's get to a place where your life is literally changed because you've encountered my presence. And that's what Jesus was trying to tell Nicodemus. You can be reborn. You have to be reborn. You can continue to do the stuff you're doing, but that doesn't make you part of the DNA of heaven. So a real rebirth should have made you a part of the kingdom. That's what Jesus preached. That's where I was a while ago. Repent and go to church. That's what I said, right? But what did he say? Repent for the kingdom is at hand. Single greatest message he preached. <coughs> Do you know that he, I, I don't think, and, and some of you theologians can help me, I don't think Jesus ever preached a message about actually doing miracles. He, now, he talked to his disciples and said, listen, I'm going to empower you to do them. But the messages he preached was, listen, the thought process has to be, a, be adjusted because the kingdom is here now. 
Because he knew that if they could get the kingdom, the miracles were the byproduct of the kingdom. Right? The wholeness was the byproduct of the kingdom. Is this making any sense? Okay. So Nicodemus, you have to be reborn. Now, we read Romans 6 last week talking about baptism, right? Who, who told you what you believed about baptism? It's what we talked about. Is it a confession of your faith, or did it really seal something when you were buried with Jesus and raised to resurrection and life? Most of us were taught that it was just a confession of our faith. But Romans 6 says it had a much, much deeper work into the man of the Spirit so that that man would die. And if you read Romans 7, he says, listen, it's impossible for dead people to get a divorce. He said that. It's impossible for dead people to get a divorce. What's he saying? He's saying, listen, you can't be alive to your sin nature and divorce that and then remarry Jesus. It literally has to die so that you can marry him in devotion. And it tells us what rebirth should look like. Listen, there is a change. There is a change at rebirth that alters the DNA of my nature to mirror the world that I was born into. Remember, I was born into depravity. When I'm reborn, I am not reborn into depravity. I am reborn into the realm of heaven. Watch this. If by birth I was in a world that was depraved, then by rebirth I am born into a world where depravity has ended. The issue that I'm running into that I'm running into is believing that I was reborn into managed depravity. I was reborn into manageable sin consciousness. Reborn into my discipline. Right? Yeah, reborn into the ability to manage my sinful nature at a better rate than I did before I accepted Jesus. I believe it's the error of our generation. I believe it's the error of our generation to not give the full gospel of Jesus. And the good news is that at my rebirth, I am not trying to manage my depravity, my sin nature. It's that it has totally been eradicated. It has totally been eradicated. Do we live that from a practical level? I can't believe that he's my provider if I still have faith in my ability to be the provider. Because I still feel like I have to manage the qualities that he's releasing. I I can't manage... I, I, I can't fully believe in him as protector if I still think that it's my job to manage the quality of protection 
in my life. Do, do you understand what I'm saying? And he's trying to let Nicodemus know, listen, this is completely contradicting to what you have been going after. That is not rebirth. I'm, I'm, listen, guys, I'm realizing that there is a large portion of my life where I thought I was born again. I'm not saying I wasn't on my way to heaven. Please hear me. I'm not saying you're not on your way to heaven. That's not, that's not what I'm after. What I'm saying is, did I have a baptism into managed sin consciousness? Or did I have a baptism into my sin nature is dead? Some of us become really comfortable managing our sin consciousness. That's not rebirth. Nor, watch this, is it the fruit of repentance? Because repentance causes me to change the way that I think. It's what it literally means. That is me being stuck in the recognizing phase. I know there's a shift, and I know there needs to be an adjustment, but are you with me? This is what Jesus is talking to Nicodemus about. He's saying, listen, listen, you've been going after it hard. In the religious circles, you've been going after this, but you have to be born again. Spirit, wind, and water. You have to be born again. The blood and water, you understand, it's, it's, a, it's a, a, a terminology he's using, knowing that he will be pierced in his side, and blood and water will flow when that old nature dies, that because he's becoming the sin for us. He, he, he's talking about all of these amazing things. And it's this narrative of him saying, you must have Holy Spirit to understand this. So I ask you, what's available at rebirth? What's available at rebirth? What do you believe about being born again? What do you believe about what he did? Do you believe that you literally could be born from above? what it means do you do you really believe that you could be born again to a place of original intent where God breathed into Adam we were born into depravity Adam was not our focus is on his failure right okay We have to get this identity piece and this justification piece before we can ever move into what he invites Nicodemus into in verse 13. This is an invitation. He's making a declaration about himself, but this is an invitation. And, and we're going to dive into this in the weeks to come. But, but we have to believe that God can see us as righteous. We, we can't believe that God can end cancer if we can't believe that he can end sin. And sometimes we don't pray for people because we say, oh, I don't know if I have enough faith or I don't know if I'm ready now that he wants to put me in the game. And ultimately it's because we don't believe that he's going to do it through us. Right? There, 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 Jesus, when he did tell his disciples about miracles, the only commands, he said, go do them. Holy Spirit's with you. Go, go do them. He didn't say go take a theological class about whether or not they're still relevant. He didn't say take a class about whether or not you, you need to, to think about laying hands on people. He said, no, go, go do that. 
How can you say that, Jesus? Because you just watched me for three years do that every time. And I only did what the Father said. Now I'm giving you Holy Spirit who's only going to say to you what me and the Father are talking about. So just go, go do that. Go, go be that. You know, I know I've mentioned cessationism a few times the last few weeks, and it's because it's really, it's, it's a, a theology that is incorrect that's running rampant in a lot of churches. Cessationism is that people believe that the gifts of the Spirit ceased with the last apostles when they died, okay, when the 12 apostles died. Again, read the Bible. There's like 28 apostles in the Bible, not just 12. Um, 25, 28, I can't remember. Anyway. They believe that it, it, it passed. He, he, this has always been my contention, right? Because they'll use, they'll use the, uh, the, the scripture that the church is, is the perfection of that, being in the church age is the perfection of things that would come. And so uh, when that perfection would come, then tongues would cease, right? Then, but here's the thing. It said that knowledge would cease too. And we have more knowledge today than we've ever had in the whole world. Why don't we have more spirit than we did? Because we let people who didn't understand it talk to us about stuff like that. Here, here's, the other, here's my other contention. Most people who, are, who believe in cessationism are strong advocates for the Great Commission, as am I. We quote it wrong, but I'm, I'm for it. We quote, go make disciples in nations. He never said make disciples in nations. He said make disciples of nations. There's a revival that's available that will cause nations to come to repentance but but watch this so, so they'll use that all the time but if you read mark's account that, that's matthew's account you read mark's account the part of the great commission when he says to go do that he says and cast out demons speak with other tongues lay hands on the sick and they shall recover so how do you separate those just mark uh, just made that up you see what i'm saying and 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 so we we miss the invitation sometimes trying to figure out and navigate all these different things when 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 what jesus is saying is i have something that you can have but you got to understand this by the indwelling holy spirit this is why your devotional life is so important it's why we talk about it all the time because that's what creates the conduit for him to flow through you i build up my most holy faith always praying in the Holy Ghost. Why? Because there's times I don't even know what to pray, but I make groanings and utterings that I don't even know how to say. And, and it's the Spirit making intercession for me. It's Him speaking through me. I need that sometimes. I heard Bill Johnson say this the other day, and I felt so convicted. He said, he said I, I think about praying in tongues like this. I'll go and I'll say, Lord, I really need it. I need you to give me a million dollars. I need you to give me a million dollars. And then I'll go pray in the Spirit. And I start praying, the Holy Spirit says, listen, don't give him a million dollars because he doesn't know what he's going to do with that right now. He said, that's, that's what I feel like that is. He's, I'm praying the perfect will of God. <laughs> don't listen to what he said right there. This is the perfect prayer. Yeah. I was like, oh, man. Yes, I see that hand. That was me. Okay, okay. Let, let me be done here. Let me be done. No one has risen into the heavenly realm except the Son of Man who also exists in heaven. That is, that's just some nasty scripture right there that we're going to get into. But you have to understand it's an invitation. He's literally saying, I'm here and I'm there. I'm living my life in the natural from the place of being seated in heaven. Ephesians 2.6, we've been seated in heavenly places, Right? Colossians 1, Colossians 3, 1 through 5. It's all about understanding from the realm of heaven. Again, remember this. Jesus would not tell you to pray on earth as it is in heaven if it was something that was totally unattainable. 
right? And uh, one of the things that sparked this a few weeks ago, I was having a conversation with the Lord, and this has been a journey that I've been on for some for some time. Okay, uh, trying to figure out what this means, and this is this is what I was talking about last night to Rebecca. It's like I I don't even know how to process this. I I, I really don't. It messes with me when I see scripture like that, and then I realize I can do that. We'll never believe that we can do that if we don't believe who he says about us first, what he says about us. Well, what's the purpose of doing that? That's bringing heaven to earth. I was having a conversation with him, and I heard him say this so clearly. These words, he said, if, if you'll stay seated, I'll blow your mind. If you'll stay seated, I'll blow your mind. These are my notes. I'm coming to terms with the fact that I have no idea what this means. Coming to terms with the fact that I have no idea what that means. I know what Christianese says, and I can speak that fluently. But I'm, I'm, I'm coming to terms also with the fact that Christianese is about as effective as speaking pig Latin. You can be reborn to original intent. You're born into depravity. I long for you. I'm jealous for you to receive a born-again experience that puts you right back to the place where when he formed you in your mother's womb, he gave you a hope and a future. I'm jealous for this to be more than some stuff that's weird that you've heard about before but never really lived out. I'm jealous for you to move from living in a natural realm that dominates your thought process all the time into a place of the Spirit. I'm jealous for that. I'm jealous for you to get out of your natural mind and allow Holy Spirit to really formulate your words, your thought life, your actions. I'm jealous for that. I'm jealous for that. We've been doing church for years and years and years and years, and here we are. What if we really started doing kingdom? What if we really started doing kingdom and really believing that we can make adjustments? Can I tell you that Louisville will look different? Your family tree will look different. Who told us what we believe about repentance and who told us what we believe about baptism? And what have we been living? Thank you for joining us for this week's podcast from Awakening Church. You can find us online at awakeningky.com.